You keep using that word air gap. I don't think that word means what you think it means. Uh, this is what we ended up talking about with analyst Krista McComber this week. Both that term and another one that a lot of vendors are using that I don't think it means what they think it means. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I have with me a guy who is possibly more excited about my recent purchase than I am, Prasanna Maliandi. How's it going, Prasanna? I'm good, Kurt. I'm actually a little disappointed that like your sort of happiness, excitement ended so quickly. It didn't end. Well, in the sense that you sounded not as excited. I think your words just last night were, I'm starting to get buyer's remorse. Oh, oh, I did have a moment of buyer's remorse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, so so for those that didn't listen to uh, last week's episode, uh, I bought a Tesla um, after many months of, of, you know, will I, will I not? uh, I decided that it was time to replace the... The trusty steed. old faithful, this trusty <laughs> steed that had, uh, you know, 10 years and 220,000 miles on it, uh, the Toyota Prius with an EV, or should I say the EV. And um, it's funny, I, I had I had lunch yesterday with a, another guy in the industry down in La Jolla, and he he's like, oh, you, you got a Tesla? And I'm like, yeah. And uh, he, he said, you know, I have a Kia EV. Um, and my son was like, Dad, why didn't you buy a Tesla? <laughs> so he has, a, he has a little bit of Tesla in me. It is a really nice car. It's really crazy the amount of extra things that the base model is able to do. Um, you know, if I spend another, like, six grand to get the enhanced autopilot the 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 other things that that car can do are even more amazing but just the things that it can do and the you know the way it does things for you um and um you know the charging is super super easy and it is less expensive than gassing it up even at the crazy rates that we pay for electricity here in (laughs) uh southern california i really wish i lived where you live persona because you have you pay nothing compared to me because so yeah the city of santa clara does have a benefit of having its own power company and so because of that our rates are ridiculously low like i i want to say it's probably like a quarter of what you pay curtis yeah, yeah. Because I'm paying like, that, so. like at like at night, like at like the lowest rate that I pay when I would charge an EV is like thirty five cents a kilowatt hour. That's the lowest okay, so, rate I. Pay. So it's like a third of the. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you suck. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'll just rub it in, pour salt on the wound. You know how it goes. That's just, but at that's least just you should wrong. continue enjoying your car, you know. And oh, I'm like enjoying it every drive. time. Every time I'm in it. Um, and, uh, my wife is still terrified of it. We'll, you know, we'll see, get her over, over it. Um, and, uh, uh, she, yeah, she just, you know, it is, it is definitely a different enough car. We had an EV before we had a, a leaf. Um, and this, this, this car is so, it's a, it's, that yeah, car. It's, it's a very, very different experience versus what you had back it's then. A, it's, it's a very, very different experience. Um, and, you know, even even just something so simple as while I'm charging, right? Because right now I am predominantly charging at superstations. Because believe it or not, it's actually cheaper for me to charge down the street at a superstation than it is to charge at my house at midnight, right? So <laughs> so I'm, I'm just doing that, right? So I'll charge, yeah. I'll charge at the superstation for now. Supercharger, but I can pull up. I can pull up. Uh, what did I say? Superstation. Superstation. Yeah. <laughs> the TBS. The TBS yeah. Superstation. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I go to the supercharger, and I can charge there. And you know, if I want a full charge, and I've driven the car for a what, you know, I'm looking at 30, 40 minutes, um, which is still crazy that I can do that in that amount of time. And but but here's the thing: I can sit there and watch Netflix or YouTube. <laughs> I might as well be at home. I'm in this comfy seat, right? And I'm interacting with the the video and yeah, so it's kind of cool. Um 
So yeah, but I, I did have a moment of buyer's remorse because you know, I know I spent I, some money. Yeah, I know. We talked about this yesterday. I'm glad you sort of walked yeah. off the ledge there and came back to normal <laughs> civilization. You know, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm enjoying it. But um, well, our our guest is is probably at this point wondering, you know, what in the world did she sign up for? <laughs> couple of couple of EV nerds. She's uh, she's an analyst and advisor in all things data protection and cybersecurity. Having been in the industry for 13 years, I run into her insights quite a bit on LinkedIn, and so I, I wanted to have her on the pod. She's now a senior analyst at Futurum Group. Welcome to the pod, Krista McComber. How's it going? Curtis and Prasanna, thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, not lucky enough to uh, own a Tesla, but definitely, maybe someday. <laughs> yeah, Prasanna, Prasanna was my sort of, I was I was living vicariously through Prasanna's EV uh, ownership or Tesla ownership. I, I, I don't know if it counts as being vicariously living through my experience since I didn't really, I don't really use the car as much as you yeah yeah isn't it ridiculous christy he's he's how okay how long have you had your car four years three months and how many miles do you have on your car uh twelve thousand seven hundred miles I, your honor i rest my case <laughs> even i wow even i do more than that <laughs> yeah that's just that's just it's just wrong but of which 750 anyway. was done over the long weekend when I took yeah, on a road trip. Yeah, that's crazy. He had a long weekend and drove. You drove to, where'd you say? You, uh, Yosemite. Yeah, Yosemite. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, beautiful spot. You don't have anything beautiful like that out where you live, do you, Krista? <laughs> well, I am about a mile, uh, mile away from the ocean, so that doesn't. That doesn't suck, but it's not quite Yosemite. So, <laughs> yeah, but and you're just surrounded by green all the time, right? I mean, it's just exactly, um, yeah, yeah. That's what you have. A little bit of everything. Don't. Yeah, beach, trees, mountains, good mix. <laughs> good mix. Well, I, I, you know, I'm curious to know. Um, I mean, I know how I got into this business. When I talk to somebody, um, you know, I, I am curious. Like, how did you find yourself? in this side of the business, like initially. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Um, it's an interesting story, actually, Curtis. Um, so when I was in school, I actually studied um, journalism and um, I had a, a minor in business. And so I wrote for the student paper actually here at the University of New Hampshire. And um, there was a gentleman that used to work at the first analyst company I ended up working for. And um, I interviewed him for a story for the school paper. Um, he actually won their business competition a few years prior. Um, and he said, you know what? We need some kind of research and uh, proofreading and editing interns. It's kind of a, you know, a good mix, good experience. So why don't you kind of come on board and check it out? So I interned for um, about a year and a half or so, and then I ended up coming on board full time um, as I graduated, and the rest has been history. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, um, what what what's it been like? I mean, you you know that like the the backup side of things. I think it, you you've certainly expanded, or I don't know how long if you've covered the cyber side of things, but you certainly now uncover the cyber side. What I mean, what's it like covering? this industry from the outside because i mean i I've, I've been on the outside i've been on the i've been on the i've been sort of i've been on three sides now i think of of the industry so what's it like what's it like being uh you know doing that yeah so you know one thing that's pretty unique i think in terms of where we sit in the market um so our team, so you mentioned we're, we're with Futurum Group. We are actually acquired at the start of this year by Futurum Group. Previously, we were evaluator group. Um, and we work very closely actually with IT operations. So when you talk about covering a topic like cyber, what I think is really interesting because you get that sort of firsthand perspective in terms of, okay, you know, I'm all of a sudden seeing everything being branded. As security and cyber, um, you know, how do I know what's what? How do I really know what my full stack should look like? Um, and I think it's a very important 
topic because there is no silver bullet, you know, cyber resiliency solution. Unfortunately, you know, it's all about how does, you know, data protection play, um, you know, with incident response as just one example. Um, so that's been, I think, you know, valuable just in terms of, you know, we really have to be able to understand how the piece parts fit together, but make sure that we're being very clear as well on our side about where does our expertise, you know, sort of lie. And so a lot of what you provide, like you mentioned, it's talking to like the IT folks, right? And figuring out like, what does the process look like from there? Like, where do you go from there? Right? So it's like, okay, here's my problem. Here's kind of what I'm looking to do. Like, how do you help them solve those challenges, I guess? Sure. So it depends a little bit. Um, I'll mm -hmm. give you the analyst answer. Um, but yeah, so I would say typically they might want us to help them to narrow down to a small handful of solutions to consider um, based on the particular criteria of their environment and their requirements, which of course are always unique. So there never is sort of one size fits all just, you know, for any customer, of course. Um, so that really does, um, that's where we do spend quite a bit of our time. Um, and sometimes it might even be helping them to, um, you know, look at their current implementation a little bit skeptically and say, okay, where might some of the gaps, you know, exist? Um, what are some of the things that maybe we aren't necessarily thinking about um, that we might want to consider moving forward? Yeah. And that's where actually we have what we call our IT insights community. Um, and what we find is that does tend to be really valuable for IT operations because that's a community where um, not only can they get, you know, kind of our feedback as analysts, but they can also have some peer-to-peer -peer conversations and feedback and, um, you know, understand what are some of their peers maybe doing to address particular, you know, challenges or requirements and, and again, have those types of conversations. You know, uh, a few years ago, uh, I give um, I give Randy some credit um, from back in the day. It was a few years ago when I was working. Uh, by the way, before I continue, I'll remember this time to do our usual disclaimer. Uh, this is an independent podcast, and uh, you know it doesn't reflect necessarily uh, anybody's employer. And the opinions that you hear are ours. And uh, also, uh, be sure to rate us. Go to your podcast, your podcatcher, and give us lots of stars and comments. We'd love to see comments, and we'd really love to talk to you. If you, uh, you know, you want to be part of the conversation, you want to send me a private message, you just say, "Hey, make sure you cover ABC." Uh, you haven't talked at all about such and such. Uh, the episode this week uh, that, that that I published this week is a perfect example of that, where somebody wanted to know, like, how do I, you know, like I lost everything. Right. Not just I lost all my servers, but I've lost like the handhelds that I use to authenticate with my password management system and my my uh, MFA system. How, how do I start from 100 percent scratch, which is something that I haven't been asked before that. So that's the show that went last week. And that was from a user uh, or, or a listener of the podcast. And um, uh, we had her on. So, yeah. So let's contact us. Um, you know, even if it's just privately. And uh, I am WC Preston on Twitter, W Curtis Preston at Gmail, and uh, LinkedIn.com slash IN slash MR backup. Um, yeah, so a few years ago, one, one thing I think that when you get to talk to independent, independent analysts, they can sometimes call you on your BS, right? Um, and I was working for a vendor, right? Um, the, the last time I talked to Randy, which was a few years ago, right? And um, he uh, called me. So the vendor that I worked at liked to use the word immutable a lot. And, I knew where this was going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, and he's like, right, but do you have that? You know, he described a very specific thing of like, mm -hmm. you know, do, do you have a feature that you can turn on so that even the users can't delete their own backups? And I'm like, well, mm -hmm. no. And he's like, well, then you're not really immutable, right? And I'm like, very good point. And then I went, mm -hmm. I went and, and, and um, I mean, you know, I still think of immutability as, as a, as a, like a spectrum, right? Nothing's 100% immutable um, and nothing's 0% immutable. Is that right? I don't know. Anyway, um, so I think you could be more and more immutable over over time. 
but that that specific request, uh, that feature made it into my previous employer's product uh, mm-hmm. significantly because of the input that I got from uh, Randy. Well, and I think sometimes we just sort of have our own blinders on in terms of what we think people need and customers ease and being able to talk to independent analysts and be like, hey, what are you actually seeing and hearing as you're going out and talking to all these people, right? Because you see Mm -hmm. and touch so many different people who may not even be existing customers, right? And it's like, yeah, that's critical. Yep. Yeah, it's um, it really helps to keep us grounded. Um, so I remember that conversation, Curtis, distinctly. So I figured you were, I figured you were going there. Um, in a you know, coffee shop just, in Vegas. Right? Yes, yes, it was. <laughs> I remember right where that meeting was. <laughs> we try to make sure people have thick skin in those conversations, right? But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it keeps us grounded. I mean, one example that comes very clearly to my mind that I've been um, partaking in recently is around air gapping Um, Mm. because of course we're seeing all these different cloud solutions and oh they're air gapped and this it insights community that i referenced they're saying well wait a minute it's not really right because there does need to be some connection somewhere to get that data into the vault so why are they calling this an air gap and is it just you know um an AWS bucket that's sitting out there somewhere that I'm just putting data into, how do I know, right, that there is some sort of, um, you know, isolation there, right? So we've kind of taken that feedback and not only does that influence sort of, um, you know, our research and and where we're covering. So I wrote, um, you know, a piece about, okay, what we call this, you know, operational air gap versus your more traditional physical air gap where you're actually shipping, you know, tape media off-site, for example, um, but also As I would kind call of it what you're alluding to. An actual area. Yes, <laughs> exactly, exactly. It, it's funny, yeah. this came up This came up uh, yesterday. On we, we were recording with another, with somebody else, and they, they, they said exactly the same thing. So you're saying you, you, yeah. you do, you're doing, you're using the term operational air gap <clears throat> versus physical air gap? Either that or data vaults. You know, I'm kind of playing with both of them. Um, operational does seem to make more sense to IT operations, um, you know, versus like a, a virtual air gap or, or anything like that. But um, I, I'm even hesitating to use air gap in context of anything that's not a, a pure physical air gap, just due to the feedback that we've been receiving, you know, from those conversations. So, but yeah, or operational seems to, seems to be, sitting a little bit better i I would describe it (laughs) i like the notion of avoiding the term air gap because like you said it means so many different things and it sort of also leads people down the path of saying oh yeah it's an air gap but it's like that first word becomes so key that they forget about it and what it really means and i like Mm -hmm. using the word operational i was also thinking as you were talking right instead of like operational air gap it's like operational isolation or things like that, yeah. because that's really what you want to do, right? It's like, hey, this is yeah. really a separate environment that is operationally isolated from everything else you normally run. And that's how you get the protection. I completely agree, Prasanna. And that's why a vault is actually not a bad term, in my opinion, because it does have that connotation of being isolated. But yeah, yeah, it's, yeah you yeah. know, it's it's funny, um, Krista. Um, it's like the argument that I have over snapshots and um because like and again this came up yesterday so i i don't like that vendors like aws use the term snapshot to refer to image copies right because like a like a an aws snapshot is actually a backup like it actually goes into s3 it goes to a different place it's not a snapshot in the traditional it sense but then the thing is, if you think about the word image, it's just another word for snapshot. It's just, they're all they're all pictures, right? So it's like, you know, you're saying vault. It's like, I, I agree. I, I like that basically you've chosen to use a different term and there's nothing wrong with that. But vault is where I would make my air gap. That's, that's Historically, Fair. I would put my tapes Fair. in a vault. This is no Fair. more a vault than it was an air gap. <laughs> Um, I, but I, I understand what you're, you're trying to get away from that term air gap. I, I guess the question is like, if we're going to keep, 
like the like the way <clears throat> the way Randy kept me honest a few years ago. If we're going to keep vendors honest, like I, there's, and I'm not going to name the vendor, but there's one particular vendor that has has uh, you know an appliance that sits on prem, and it's an on prem appliance in the data center, and they call that appliance air gapped, and um, and it just kills me. I'm like, it's not even whatever. Like, so how do how do you how do you like that's that's what I'm saying is I'm. That's historically when I when I wasn't part of the vendor community, I was trying very hard to get them to use turn to not misuse terms. And air gap is currently air gap and immutable. I'd say are the the two words that are very much misused. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know where to go from there, but it's just, uh, so, so I, well, I guess my question is, so do, would you, are you trying to get vendors to use that term or, you know, does that matter? What's your goal with that term? The um, vault term? I would say, honestly, my bigger goal is to try to get the vendors to be as clear as possible about what they're what they're actually providing right, right? because it's okay you can use any term you want but you know to your point curtis there's there's only so many words and terms that we can use right because then if you do throw out something completely new then the market you know in in, in it they have no idea you know what you're talking about so there needs to be some education anyway um so i think i would say my my goal wouldn't necessarily be to get the, you know, the vendors in the industry to standardize on that term, but more, okay, let's consider, you know, is there something else we can describe this as, but also bigger picture, you know, you, Mr. Vendor, please be aware that, you know, your customers are looking at this messaging and they're wanting to understand what's actually going into this to truly make it isolated and to make it more than just your your general purpose S3 bucket that's just sitting out there that anybody can penetrate. They want that information and they want to know um, because this is just too important for them. Um, so I would say at the end of the day, that's really, um, you know, my bigger goal. It's a very noble goal. I wish you luck. <laughs> <laughs> we no, because that's because that's we always try. a hard thing. Like Curtis <laughs> talked about, right? It's like vendors like to make up terms, right, and like to reuse terms <laughs> because they think that's what customers want. I I've worked in with vendors my entire career, right, and so I've always seen that path, right? It's like, hey, we could call it this, but it's not quite that, right? We'll use the word snapshot when we really mean backup, but it's like people know snapshots, and it's like. Yeah, that's just confusing users in the end, right? And so yeah. at least making sure users yeah. understand what they need to look for. And it doesn't matter what terms the vendor mm -hmm. uses. It's like, this is what I need. I need a mechanism to make sure that my backups are protected and it's operationally separate. And if you decide to call it a vault or if you decide to call it a virtual air gap or whatever else you decide to call it, that's fine. But this is what I need. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And um, we've actually gotten hands on um, with some of these solutions in particular. There's a couple of them that we were contracted to actually do an audit and say, OK, you have, you know, solution X and solution Y that are, you know, you're calling air gapped or whatever that term is. Um, you know, let's break it down. Um, let's spend some hours kind of really going through the solution. Um, you know, as the analyst firm, we tried to put on our, our hacker hat, I guess, if you will, and try to think about, okay, what are any ways that there might be to get around, you know, using Curtis's example of the immutability, you know, the controls for that, and maybe when an immutable copy expires, um, you know, do you have your controls to be able to sever the network connection um, so that it is only open, you know, when your data is being transferred and maybe it's even over a private link, for example. So, um, you know, we've tried to do that as well um, when we've had the opportunity. Um, and that way we can go to the customer and say, we got hands on with these couple of solutions. Um, you know, we're not saying pick one of these two, but what we are saying is that based on what we've seen, um, you know, here's some things that you might think about. Um, and by the way, here's, you know, the write-up of what we did if you do want to look at these solutions. So, yeah, it sounds like, it, it sounds like uh, AirGap or Vault or whatever um, is similar, at least my understanding of sort of the, the modern manifestation of it is that it's, it's like Immutable in that 
some things are more air gap than others, right? Some things are, you know, you think, you think of air, air gap and immutable, they're both binary terms, right? It's, you know, it's like dead or pregnant, right? You're either, you're either <laughs> dead or alive, pregnant or not pregnant. You, you can't, it's, it's a binary so term. You, yeah, yeah. But, but, the, but these, these aren't, you would think they would be like that. It, you know, immutable just means can, can or cannot be changed, right? So you would think yeah. that this is a this is a binary condition, but the, but the thing is that you know because you know I make the point that nothing's one hundred percent immutable, right? You know, give me give me a solution that says it's immutable and hand me a torch, right? It, it's not immutable. It's not immutable anymore. It can indeed be changed if I get access, right? But think some things are more immutable than others. Some things are more isolated mm -hmm. than others. I like I like the term isolated. I like that a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, some things are are isolated farther away, right? On mm -hmm. on one end, you know, you you use the term S three, but all S three buckets aren't aren't created equal either, right? So an open open S three bucket with no authentication, not isolated, not air gapped, not immutable, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. None of those things. Um, and on the other end, I would put, maybe not on the far, like on the far end might be actual worm media, like optical or something like that, or, mm -hmm. or, or a worm tape, uh, where you actually have physical, t uh, stuff. Where would you, is there Which, something the way, you think is more immutable Randy than that? Randy has ahead, one of those in, Randy has one of those in his office. Uh, Randy does. Yep. Oh, he has the already, the, the, yes. one of the worm tapes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so that's Going like on one end. Terms, you said, yeah, absolutely. This yeah, it's been uh, around uh, for a long time. <laughs> yeah, it has, right? So that that's like on 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 the opposite end of the spectrum, um, yeah. but somewhere in between there, right? Um, you know, you've got you've got append only file systems. You've got immutability built into uh, Linux, right? Um, you know, like Veeam uses the immutability feature of Linux mm -hmm. for their hardened their hardened Linux repository. But at the mm -hmm. same time, if I get root, I can turn that feature off, right? And so it's mm -hmm. it's it's more immutable than yeah. the other thing, but but it's not hundred <laughs> percent. Um, so that's that's it. Sounds like what what you're doing is just digging into these vendors to see where they actually fall. Yep, yep, exactly. And um, a lot of what you're alluding to, Curtis, would be you know when we do have more higher touch, more you know consultative type engagements with IT, that's where mm -hmm. it might dig into some of the nitty gritty and okay, let's look in your environment and let's think about where some of the vulnerabilities might be. You know, we're not necessarily, you know, full security auditors, you know, by any means, but we can certainly, you know, help with, um, you know, maybe thinking about, about um, some of those unique, you know, requirements and potential pitfalls. So as you're talking to a lot of these IT operations folks and various companies, where do you see, like, how are people shifting? Like, I know back in the day, right, Curtis will probably, Curtis has told numerous stories, right? When he first started, right, it was you had your backup server, you had tape, right, you were doing backups to it. Now we've seen everything from that to sort of purpose-built backup appliances, to integrated data protection appliances, to SaaS-based mm -hmm. services, how are customers shifting um, what they think about when it comes to data protection and how they plan to deploy and use these solutions? Sure, sure. So looking at the deployment itself, um, we are certainly, you know, you mentioned SaaS persona and we're, we are seeing a bit of that. Typically it is for more point use cases. So for example, okay, I've migrated over to Microsoft 365. I'm already subscribing to Microsoft in the cloud. It probably makes sense that I get my data protection for that in the same manner. Um, so data protection is really interesting because it does have that very long tail of adoption. Um, you know, it's very, very hard, right, to migrate off of legacy right. systems. Um, you might have, you know, legacy backup copies that ultimately you might need to recover. Um, these processes are in place for, in some cases, you know, years, decades. Um, so we're not necessarily seeing kind of that wholesale lift and shift by any means, but we are seeing, you know, kind of SaaS delivered data protection for those point use cases that is starting to enter the equation. 
Um, we've already been talking, of, of course, a little bit about some of these, you know, kind of cloud air gap or cloud vault solutions. Well, even just thinking about kind of a general um, target for backup or for disaster recovery, um, you know, we are seeing the cloud being used for that as well. Um, you know, and of course, I think that makes sense when we think about um, just, you know, the kind of the simplicity of being able to subscribe to that infrastructure versus having to buy and deploy and manage it all in-house. Um, so, and, and that kind of brings me to um, the big thing that, you know, we're seeing face, um, you know, not only just IT teams that are working on data protection, but, you know, IT operations teams in general, which is just that they don't have it, they just don't have time. So staffing pressures, you know, are second only to cost and budget in terms of the challenges that we're seeing customers trying to address. So that's where kind of a SaaS or a cloud type delivery, um, where it's appropriate and where it can, you know, fit the bill, um, you know, that can really help to alleviate some of those pressures. So I kind of threw a lot at you, but that's no, no. a little mixture of what we've been seeing, at least from a deployment perspective. That's yeah. a that's a that's a perfect answer. I, but you, and you you brought up a, a favorite topic of mine, so I want to ask you about that. <laughs> and that is, um, what percentage of people when you're talking out, you know, when you're talking out there, and they go and they get 365 or G Suite mm -hmm. or Salesforce or pick some other SaaS offering, what percentage of those people then realize they need to back it up and then get something anything to back up <laughs> versus versus the percentage that go well it's uh it's included right you know it's, it's part of the thing yep yeah and that honestly that has been a problem for years um i would say curtis it's getting better um so we You're actually welcome. feel some <laughs> exactly right <laughs> we're, we're all oh doing it together we're all doing it together oh yeah Exactly. Exactly. It's like, you, you, you know, if you scream enough, people notice, right? Um, yeah. So we fielded um, a primary research study right around the turn of the year. Um, mm -hmm. We published it back in January. And um, what that research found was that actually a little bit over half of enterprises were, if they had Microsoft 365, were protecting it now, which of course is not where we want it to be. But still, it's, that's you know, still way that's more than point. it was. Exactly. That, yes, exactly. That, the the um, only time I saw a survey, it was like 5%. So yeah, I'll take and 50. Granted, uh, these were, you know, we did speak with folks that were, you know, very hands-on with data protection. So maybe that number you could make a case, maybe it was a little inflated just based on mm -hmm. the audience. But mm -hmm. I, I think it was still very heartening. Um, I think when we look at some of the other applications like Salesforce, um, you know, certainly we're seeing interest and demand there, but, you know, I think in practice, we're certainly still getting there. Um, you know, I mean, you've sort of alluded to um, that concept that, oh, well, if it's in the cloud, then the protection is the cloud provider's problem and I don't have to worry right. about it. And of course we on this call know that's not true. Um, and I think in part due to the education, Curtis, as you were mentioning that we've all been doing, but I also yeah. think honestly, some of the ransomware attacks in those headlines, um, I think they probably have helped a little bit because I've, we've seen that that has grabbed the attention of the C-suite to say, oh, I'm seeing that this could potentially be a major problem for us. So we need to make sure we've got a handle on this. And of course, um, you know, your state of SaaS applications um, is certainly going to play a role there. Well, you look at you look at what happened with Rackspace, right? Um, yep. That, I mean, it wasn't 365, but it was it was hosted Exchange, and yep. um, you know, basically, the, they they did get the customers. Well, yeah. they did make the customers' <laughs> data available, right? Be, because they they made I don't know they had a tough decision as to that they couldn't get the data back quick enough. And so they made a decision to just move everybody over to 365, but all they did was they just moved their accounts over to 365, right? And they started doing email, right? right. And the customer's like, okay, good. We're glad we have email. What about the old email? And the, there was no vehicle 
to get the, there was no path to get the data out of exchange and sort of into, into 365. And so yeah. they eventually, they created like little, little um, PSTs basically that mm -hmm. customers could download their own data and then import it into 365. Mm -hmm. uh, but, um, uh, but yeah, it just illustrates. Uh, and by the way, that took months, right? <laughs> Um, yep. and there's a, and there's a lawsuit about it, but there, I, I don't think there's been enough there. Um, I, I, as, as sad as this sounds, it will probably take a few more, um, very public, very damaging, very newsworthy ransomware attacks on SaaS providers, uh, for people to, to wake up and smell to that really coffee. get it. Yep. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I think one thing that's kind of a little bit unique with this market too, I think is just the number of SaaS applications that enterprises are using and that they will be using moving forward. And so, um, you know, how do you pick your battles, right? In terms of having a solution that is, you know, specifically tailored to that to protecting that one application versus potentially something that's a little bit more general purpose, maybe more API driven in terms of how it integrates with um, the SaaS application, just to make sure that there at least is some basic levels of protection. So um, I think that's something, you know, over the next maybe year or two, I think we'll, we'll probably start hearing a little bit more about as the awareness um, increases and um, just as enterprises are using more SaaS applications, I think that's going to be one of the problems um, on the list to address for sure. I know we talked about SaaS applications and I'm not surprised like enterprises probably have hundreds of SaaS apps, right? Uh, that they're using internally. And it's probably like you said, it's going to get worse because everyone's constantly like, if you look at how many new SaaS apps are being built every day and it's like, hey, here's this new app. Should we start using it or not? It gets difficult to manage. Uh, mm -hmm. Switching from SaaS apps, though, I was wondering your thoughts around Kubernetes, right? Mm -hmm. I know Kubernetes has been hot for a while. Um, everyone's been like, hey, it provides availability and scalability and just... Sort of, I know, Curtis, when we've talked about Kubernetes in the past, your head sort of exploded with like, how are you going to protect things as they're constantly spinning up, spinning down? And it's, it's the only thing I care about is that how are you going to back it up? <laughs> right. It's <laughs> sort of like, what are you starting to see in this area? Yeah. Yeah. So it's been interesting and it's something that we've, um, so we've been tracking it from, I would say three perspectives as a company. So we have been looking at, um, you know, the adoption of what we're calling some of these um, container management platforms, right? Like a Kubernetes. Um, we've been looking at how the market for persistent storage um, for Kubernetes applications has been developing as well. So that includes not just backup, it includes the production storage as well. And then really my role has been to look at, okay, you know, as Curtis was mentioning, that's all great, but what about the protection? <laughs> Um, <laughs> so, um, we are seeing that, um, there still is a little bit of a disconnect. I'm sure this will shock you between developers and IT operations. I know this will shock you. Shocked. Um, shocked I am, I tell you. Shocked. <laughs> don't, try, don't fall out of your chair. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, I guess double clicking down into, you know, really the focus of, you know our perspectives and maybe our audience on this show. So um, these applications are beginning to enter production. Um, so they are, you know, doing things like requiring persistent storage, which as we all know is going to need protection. Mm -hmm. um, now how that's translating over to IT operations by and large. So I did not have the pleasure of attending KubeCon um, in Amsterdam this spring, but I was out in Detroit this past fall. Um, and we did have a number of team members um, at the, the spring event this year. And um, for IT operations, it's still very much a narrative of, okay, I'm hearing about this Kubernetes thing. I'm aware that I need to pay, be paying attention to it and I need to start figuring it out but it's not really yet crossing my desk um, mm. on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's 
what we're seeing by and large, whether or not that is the reality of the urgency that they should have, that is maybe a different story. But um, especially when we think about protection, um, it's it's still very nascent. Um, and I would say what we're seeing is still a lot of the, you know, do it yourself. I'm using an open source tool like Valero um, to kind of script it. Um, and I'm maybe not quite really using a lot in the form of a third-party tool for protecting these applications, at least from a data protection standpoint. And I'm guessing just like SaaS applications, right? Until you get to that point where there's data that gets lost because no one backed it up or I couldn't restore it mm -hmm. or ransomware hit. I was just reading something yeah. recently about ransomware now starting to target like Kubernetes applications, right? So until you get to that stage, yeah. right, there's probably no driving yeah. force necessarily. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it's, um, you know, Kubernetes has been driven into the enterprise by developers. And in fairness, developers are doing their job. They're developing applications and they're trying to be as agile and quick, you know, all those terms that we love as possible. And they're, they're not trained um, in data protection and proper data protection hygiene. And, you know, I would argue, nor should they be. Um, but, you know, as you're alluding to, Brasana, it's only when it becomes a problem, I think, that there becomes that awareness. Um, and I think in the Kubernetes space, you're also fighting against a couple of other challenges, one of which I kind of alluded to, which is, oh, well, Kubernetes is only for test and dev. Well, we're number one, we're seeing that that's actually not even true anymore. We are seeing production workloads are being run on Kubernetes environments. Um, but also, when you think about if a developer needs to roll anything back, well, then there does need to be a form of protection there. Um, and I think the other piece, too, is that there's this um, assumption that because Kubernetes applications are architected to be very resilient, that that then translates into data protection, which, of course, you know, I think we, we know that that's yeah. not true. But I, I think yeah. there needs to be some education on that front also. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it's just it's just like the late, you know, the SaaS and Kubernetes is just the latest thing on a long list of stuff that isn't backup, right? <laughs> like, you know, the the first thing I remember was RAID, right? It was like, well, we, you know, we, we got it on RAID. It's on RAID. We don't need to back it up. Like, ah, you know, yeah. You know, I, I had the luxury uh, at when I first my first job, it was at a bank credit card company. And we had a guy, his name was Joe Fitzpatrick. He was the guy that always, he wasn't a backup guy. He was a sysadmin guy, but he would always, every time he was, a, so he was in a lot more meetings than I was. I was a backup guy. I'm just, you know, the guy in the data center with the tapes, right? He's in like the meetings where they're talking about new things. And Joe would always raise his hand and say, <clears throat> are we getting this on tape? That was Joe's question. Are we getting this on tape? Right. As in, this, this new application that you're describing sounds amazing. How will we back it up? Right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, you talk about, you talk about when I hear like, oh, it's only test and dev, right? Dev is what test, not so much maybe, but dev, that's actual work that someone's mm -hmm. doing, right? That, you know, when I think about, oh, it's only dev, uh, I think back again, back to that bank. One of the last mm -hmm. things that happened to me when I was there is a group of people came up <clears throat> and um, they um, <laughs> they had lost their entire, it was like a group of like, it, it was a bunch of developers, like the number 45 is up in my head, but this is, you know, 35 years ago. It's like 45 developers, they were consultants, right? So they were being paid back then probably 100, 150 bucks an hour, right? Mm -hmm. And they had worked for three months on a source code tree and they had stored it in temp okay on 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 hps which on hps back then temp was in ram so when you rebooted the server temp was cleared out and um they um <clears throat> they were they were coming to me they wanted me to restore the source code tree i'm like we don't back up temp it's 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 ram temp. Yeah. they're they're like yeah it's temp it's temp <laughs> And they're like, no, you don't understand. This source code, it's really important. I'm like, you don't understand. We, we don't back up temp, right? I don't like, have a magic wand. <laughs> who, who puts who puts their source code in temp? 
you know, it's like like I like I knew somebody that stored important stuff, and they would they use the uh, the recycle bin as a filing method. Like they would do their stuff, and then they would delete it, and they would put stuff into the recycle bin. Like, and then they would pull it out of the recycle bin when they wanted to work with it, and then delete it and put it back in the recycle bin. <laughs> Oh my God! <laughs> when you when you when you mentioned that like developers or or a lot of just a lot of people, not just developers, but a lot of IT people, they just don't have the you know the backup and recovery and the cyber recovery chops to know the things they should be doing or not doing, right? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, exactly. So how do we uh, how do we build that awareness? You know, and a little bit more, but you know. You don't necessarily want to bog, especially these devs down with, you know, all the nitty gritties. So then how do you start, you know, the term is kind of baking it in, but how do you integrate tools across that pipeline um, yeah. to make it at least as streamlined and as easy as possible? And that way you don't get to that point where, oh, well, we just lost three months of source code development work because we had to reboot our server. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the key, I think the, the, the first hurdle that we all have to get over for, for SaaS, for Kubernetes, for um, multi-node uh, high availability databases like Cassandra and Mongo, right, is we just, can we all just agree this needs to be backed up, right? That, that's, the, that's the first hurdle, right? Because there's just way too many people that are like, well, Microsoft's backing it up, right? No. Um, well, it's, 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 it's a multi-node database. It can survive, you know, all these things. Right. What happens when you drop a table? Uh, right. Can I add, right. Which, can I add something yeah. to your list? Add, S3, add object store. Oh, object store. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, yeah. you know, the, the question is how do we, you know, can, can we, can we, can we just, that's the, that's the hurdle. You know, you, you talked, Krista, you talked about, um, you know, we just need mm -hmm. to educate. That's the initial hurdle, right? And then, so then it's like, well, how do you get any kind of backup, right? So like Salesforce, you you can manually get a crappy backup, right? You can do it once a week. You can download it. Just get something so that when, you know, and, and I've told the story, I'm not going to tell it again, but I once, when I was administering a Salesforce environment with a million and a half records, basically jumbled the thing and put all the wrong phone numbers to all the wrong people like in, in, in like, like that, I managed to corrupt the entire company. Right. But in case something like that happens, what mm -hmm. do you have? Right. Mm -hmm. Even, even, and, and then, and then it's the walk before we can run. Yes. I, I, I do. Yeah. I hope I, I know, I know that over the next few years, the number of ways that we can protect SAS apps will get better. I was very mm -hmm. encouraged by, I was at Haiku, uh, headquarters uh, last mm. week. I was very encouraged by their approach of the the API so that the SaaS mm -hmm. companies can program to them. I was very encouraged by that. Mm -hmm. I know they uh, and at least one other company, Basigra, um, mm -hmm. is taking that approach. I was very encouraged mm -hmm. by that. And, and, and there's a lot going on in the Kubernetes backup space. Uh, mm -hmm. S3 is problematic, <laughs> as you know. <laughs> well, there's, right? well, granted, I, there's versioning right there's cross-region replication right uh they've built a lot what of I, features know what i'm saying yeah. sorry to interrupt you but what i meant was what i meant was it's difficult to back oh. up right there's not the, yeah. the features aren't there necessarily you know i because I, I, I speak working at a company that was trying to figure that out yeah and it was not easy <laughs> Right. Um, sort of like Microsoft 365. It's, they didn't want a backup. They didn't want people backing it up. They, 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 it wasn't until just recently that they actually came out with an API for it. But anyway, my hope, my hope is for the future that stuff will get better. But just like day one, my, my, my thing is, and I think it sounds like you're on the same page, Krista, is like just make sure we can all agree that there is nothing magic. The cloud is not magic. Kubernetes is not magic. My Tesla is not magic, even though it feels like it sometimes, right? Um, you know what? The, you know what I need, Persona. Backup for your Tesla. I need a backup Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what? One step at a time. One step at a time. Right now, my backup Tesla is a Prius uh, that's sitting right next to it, and very sad. It's it's thinking like I'm going to get rid of her and 
probably true. <laughs> um, but yeah, if we can just, if we can all just say, let's look at, let's pray, let's acknowledge the problem, right? Mm-hmm. We need like a 12 step thing, right? Acknowledge <laughs> that we are powerless over data loss, right? Uh, and then we just, and then we just, we prioritize uh, what we, so we're, we're, we're a company, right? And we prioritize, all right, we're using Kubernetes, we're using 365, we're using Salesforce. What would really shoot us in the foot if we lost it, right? Yep. And we're like, oh my God, that's Salesforce for, for whoever, just a fictional company, right? Yep. So for us, it's, so, it's gotta be, all right, so get something quick, get a backup of that, right? Get a save our ass backup. It's not a good one. It's a crappy manual one we got to do once a week. Just get that done. And, and, then, and then go out and start looking for like better solutions. I'm sorry, I, I, I got up on a soapbox there for a minute, Crystal, but what do you think? What do you think about that? I think it's great advice. I think we need to crawl before we can walk, before we can run. Um, and I think that having something basic in place is better than nothing, um, of course. And then from there, we can start to look at, like you were mentioning, Curtis, what is critical? Um, And if it is our Salesforce implementation, maybe we do need um, one of these more sophisticated third-party tools, you know, kind of what you're alluding to, Curtis, in terms of, okay, all of these um, different records and hierarchies, we need to be able to, um, you know, bring those back as quickly as possible if something happens. And so that's where some of these third-party tools might come in. But I do appreciate the soapbox. I think it was good advice. Yeah, I, I think like if, if if we like just you you got we got a triage right and like in, in the case of Salesforce I, you know, I keep throwing it out in the case of Salesforce they have a product like Salesforce has a native they now have a native backup product my understanding is it's it's expensive AF but it's there mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and you could sign up for that I don't know in classic Salesforce you know world you probably have to sign up for a year <laughs> you know Salesforce is, right they they charge you by the month but they bill you by the year right um so that that might that might be a way to do it right to get something mm-hmm. for those mm-hmm. critical apps uh you know maybe your critical app is cassandra right um you know maybe it's kubernetes maybe god forbid persona maybe it's s3 <laughs> Who knows? It might be, right? But I think this is where, and Curtis just calling out your uh, plug for your book, right? Modern Data Protection, right? But this is where, right, the, I think what, it's chapter two, where it's like, talk to the business and the stakeholders, right? Get down the requirements, yeah. really understand what is important, because what you might think is important is different than what someone else thinks is important, and what someone else thinks is important, different than what someone else thinks is important, right? So make sure you're all on the same page, and you can sort of prioritize that list and be like, yep, Salesforce is our top critical app for our entire company. Let's go figure that out. Number one mistake. Well, number one mistake made by backup people is not backing stuff up. Number two is making up their mind on what's important, right? Yep. You, you, you know, if you're a typical, as I make quotes in the air, a typical backup admin, you're often junior, which I hate that, but that's just the way it is. You're often junior in the organization. You're not privy to all these discussions on what is important to your company. Get Get yourself in those discussions. Um, I bet I bet you see that a lot, Krista. Where like you know, people that they don't they don't know what they know, or they don't they don't know what they don't know. I think that was I think that's what I was trying to say there. A hundred percent, a hundred percent, and that comes down to what you're mentioning, Curtis. Those higher level, more strategic conversations about what is important to our business, but in the world of cloud and DevOps bringing these Kubernetes environments, you know, into the equation as well. It also literally comes down to what is our organization using? What data are we even creating? Um, you know, we're, we see in some cases significant blind spots because, um, you know, IT just was not kept in the loop and, you know, somebody on the LOB side just went and swiped their credit card and now they're using, you know, this different SaaS application, for example. <laughs> um, and I know we already kind of talked a little bit about that, um, you know, that little bit of breakdown between, you know, dev and IT ops. So it's, I think it's um, twofold from that perspective. Yeah, shadow IT. And man, mm-hmm. it seems like we could talk all day. I, yeah. I just want to finish this this idea that, yeah, the shadow IT thing, again, I, I, I uh, um, I'll just 
plug Haiku again. They, they've got this cool app. It won't fix the shadow IT problem, but one thing they were able to do, if you do use like Okta, right, um, and, and the SaaS apps that work with Okta, they can basically use Okta as a way to inventory your environment. I thought that was kind of, mm-hmm. of, the, of the SaaS apps that you plug into. Because the first thing, <clears throat> you know, the first thing, uh, going back to that list earlier, the first thing before we figure out what's important, we got to find out what we have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, all those apps. So Shadow, Shadow IT, that's a problem, right? I mean, the only way you can really, you, you can address that with policy, like don't do that. Like, and you can address it with like, <laughs> if you turn around, if you turn around and you try to expense those apps and you're told, I'm sorry, what is this? What, what, what is this product that you're using? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, this looks fascinating. Uh, what is it and what does it do? And, and why is it not plugged into Okta? Right. Mm-hmm. Or whatever it is that the company's using. Anyway, we, yeah. uh, uh, we could talk all day, Krista. Uh, I think we've covered enough. Um, th- is there anything that we, that we didn't cover that you, that you wanted to talk about? Um, I don't think so. I mean, those are two of really the big, you know, the two big trends, I guess three, you know, if you factor in, um, you know, cybersecurity as well, you know, those are really kind of the big things that we're seeing. Um, you know, of course we're getting into all these conversations about, you know, as you mentioned, you know, different third party tools that need to be integrated with the data protection solution. Um, you know, you mentioned kind of Okta from, you know, kind of authentication and things of that nature. Um, you know, we're also seeing a lot of these, you know, ransomware scanning tools. Um, okay, where exactly does this fit within that stack? But that probably could be a topic for a yeah. whole nother conversation unless we want to hang out for another hour here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I honestly, I can't believe we didn't talk about ransomware. <laughs> I, no, I mean, it came up, it came up a little bit here and there. In parts, uh, yeah. But maybe we'll um, have you back on to talk about that. Yeah. We'll yeah. definitely have that you back wonderful. on. That, that, that's a, that's an incredibly important conversation that we continue to have. And I, 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 I don't think we can get enough perspectives on that. Um, and clearly you care about this topic. Clearly you understand this topic. So um, I, I want to thank you so much, uh, Krista, for coming on. Curtis and Prasanna, thank you both so much. This was very fun, as always, to chat with both of you. And yeah, it was it was a pleasure. Thank you. And Prasanna, I want to thank you. And by the way, also, if you want to get me a backup Tesla, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one of those little tiny toy car ones. Yeah. yeah. That counts. Thank you, Chris. It was so nice to meet you. And I hope you come back on the podcast so we can chit chat about cybersecurity. Anytime. I'd love to. And uh, we, of course, want to thank our listeners. We'd be nothing without you. Remember to subscribe so that you can restore it all.
it'll be completely done.